I'm Luke Simmons. And I am Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King and Culture podcast. It's good to have you with us today. Seth, uh, your voice sounds a little uh, froggy there. It is a little froggy. I had a cold over the weekend and I got that lingering smoker's voice, I guess you could say. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it was funny. Jay, he had a little fever. Olivia had a little fever. And I just kind of, I get a headache from coughing so hard. I feel like my brain's rattling loose. Yeah, that happens. So it's, it's, it's funny. So Taylor's the spared one. Oh, good. She's been the strong one. Uh, you know, Jay's already getting to that age where he's learning how to manipulate. So we have this breathing treatment thing he does and uh, albuterol nebulizer. It's a fire truck, so he loves it. And he's allowed to watch TV whenever he does a breathing treatment. And oh. so <laughs> he's totally fine. But yesterday he's like, I think I need a breathing treatment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Daddy, I think I need a breathing treatment. So when you uh, feel sick like this, and this actually somewhat connects to where we're going today, do you just kind of tough it out? Or do you go, you know what, I will do anything, I'll take anything, I'll try anything, I'll do any I'll, any medicine, I'll do anything it takes to feel better? Well, normally I say the most powerful medicine is denial, <laughs> <laughs> so you just pretend and keep going. Uh, it's funny how even like the COVID situation changed all that, because I would normally just grind it out. I've, sweating it out is my default, especially when it's like okay. a cold or allergies, because sometimes if it's, it's hard to tell when it's cold or allergies, but I have pretty bad allergies, and when it's allergies, sweating it out is actually usually close to 100% effective. You just get your heart rate up and give your body something really to be concerned about than stupid allergies. <laughs> so, But I take everything. I'm yeah, me too. Kitchen sink, just open it up and start shoveling it in. And When I was in Germany, I, I got a cold and I you know, kind of developed a cough. And I was like, I have to take something. So I wander into this German drugstore and I can't read anything. <laughs> And it was, it ended up being like semi, like a natural path thing. And I was trying to figure out what the, anyway, I got these kind of nasty lozenge things that I think maybe they helped, but yeah, I'll, I'll do anything it takes. It's like whatever it takes to feel better. Oh, the key phrase in placebo effect is effect, you know, right? Sure. the illusion of control is as good as you get sometimes. So, right. so that's kind of related to what we're talking about today. Um, in that we have one of these cultural statements, uh, as redemption church that it's probably one of them that I don't know. We don't get, I feel like people don't necessarily intuitively know what it means. It sounds nice. It sounds good. They go, hmm, yeah. But then you go, what do you think that means? And and it's not always correct. And it relates to this issue of of ends and means, right? Is, uh, you know, we all want good results. Is it like we just do anything it takes to get there? And so this cultural phrase we're going to kind of explore in this conversation is the Lord's work, the Lord's way. One of the things we want to do as Redemption Church is to do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Um, and on the surface, nobody disagrees with doing the Lord's work. If someone's like, doing the Lord's work, it's like, well, they'll want to get in your way. And then you go, and the Lord's way. Well, what is that? How does the Lord work? Right. And so we added a little clarification for that in our covenant members packet, uh, which says, ends do not justify means. Outcomes belong to the Lord. We treat one another like holistic humans and do not compromise on this in order to seek results or growth. So we're clarifying it's more about how we treat people and we don't use people as ways to grow or mistreat people for the sake of growth. Yeah, and so I think it's worth exploring in, in light of our framing of what we do in this podcast, which is critique the hellish aspects of culture that are out there and in us to say, okay, this is somewhat countercultural then, right? Because there is a sense in which we tend to go, hey, ends justify the means, like whatever it takes, if, if, whether it's medicine 
or whether it's success or whether it's, you know, whatever you're trying to do, hey, just do whatever it takes. Yeah, hustle is a big deal. I, I do think uh, I'm still really pro-hustle, pro-sweat, pro pro-work. Uh, I think one of the moments I was the most proud as a kid was at the Arizona sports camp where my dad was a basketball coach, uh, which we'd go up to Prescott or Payson or one of those mm-hmm. places with trees and yeah. cooler weather for <laughs> right. Embry-Riddle, wherever that is. And you they'd give like out awards at the end of the week. And so um, I think I was in sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, but I won the hustle award. Okay. And I think it was the most proud my dad's ever been to me. Huh. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't disagree with that, but it's like the first like real sense of, I made my dad proud. And well, yeah, I mean, as a high way. school basketball coach, I can think he'd think it was cool if you won the best three-point shooter award or something. But, like, hustle is, like, that's what a coach really wants. Yeah, there's only one element in sports that you actually have total control over. It's one of the reasons why I totally hate golf and I will never be a golfer. <laughs> is I Someone's asking me why I don't like golfing. And I was like, well, I like sports where the harder you try, the better you get. And I feel like in golf, the harder yeah. you try, the worse you get. You People just, ask me, do you play golf? I say, no, I can get mad for free. <laughs> yeah. I just, you just start swinging harder. You just shank hippopotamus everything, right. and you're just hanging out in the trees. And so whereas other things, I do feel like uh, where, where you can trace the direct outcome between effort and output. Right. A sense of control, accomplishment, dominion, which is not bad. And we're called to have dominion. Uh, but even I remember on, growing up playing sports, there was, and even through school, one of the phrases my dad would give was like, you know, there's really only two things. There's excuses and there are results. Right. And, yeah. and kind of that was a high responsibility orientation to, okay, you got to be because, 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 because. Right. Okay, well, the, the, the circumstantial situation sure. is not going to change, but you can change. And so yeah. very often our circumstances don't change, but we can change. And so... Well, you, and, and what that I think is getting at, especially in a sports kind of context, is to say, hey, you've got to put in the work. You've got to do the things that it takes to get the results you want. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're probably making excuses. You know, my uh, second daughter's volleyball team, they uh, had their last chance to in a tournament to make it to nationals. And uh, I knew from the outset of the season they weren't going to go to nationals, um, not because they're terrible, but because no team at their level from their club has ever gone to nationals. And as I was watching them play all year, I thought, they're not a history-making team, um, <laughs> but somehow they thought, these girls thought they were going to nationals. And so when they lost the game that you know on the tournament to go to nationals, uh, 11 out of the 12 girls were sobbing, right? Uh, mine wasn't <laughs> because we had talked about how you're not going to nationals. But the other 11 were sobbing. And afterwards, I was thinking like, well, where was this when you were practicing? Where was this when you were like I've seen you I've I've gone to your practices I see the intensity with which you play I see the focus and the concentration that you don't have like it's like my my coach in college you know you'd strike someone would strike out and then come back and slam their bat or slam their helmet and say maybe you should have gotten mad before you struck out <laughs> yeah you yeah. know there's a sense of like going hey if if you really want that result then you got to put in the work right and so there's there's a real sense even biblically right you you reap what you sow is a general principle of the Bible that's true. And so there is a sense in which going like, hey, the, the way you do stuff is going to lead to certain results. Absolutely. And I don't know any small business owners and medium-sized business owners or even like C-suite executives who don't at some point experience this real temptation, or maybe it's maybe they don't even experience it as tempting. They see it as an opportunity that they're definitely going to say no to, where corner cutting or loophole exploiting would benefit them and because of the fear of the Lord, they either have to decide, like, is it 
excuses or results. Because yeah. if they go, if I don't take this opportunity, all the other companies take these type of opportunities. And if I don't do this type of thing, uh, well, business is business. We talk about it's not personal, it's business. And and we use that to justify some dehumanizing ways of treating people. And even some of the Christians I know that I'm pretty close to have talked about kind of being forced by employers to make business decisions that are actually pretty cruel to employees that were probably, that were certainly justified from like a pure HR perspective, but could have been done slightly differently mm. and maybe could have been delayed by a day or two just to make it a more humanizing experience and less of like, uh, you know, the toaster's broken, throw it in the trash and yeah. we'll just buy a new one. Mm. And so like the replaceability, but that whole idea of where does the Lord's work, the Lord's way apply? Cause I think if, when people hear about churches mistreating employees or churches uh, manipulating or controlling or fudging the numbers, nobody in the world is like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you got you to gotta do what it takes to succeed. Everyone, everyone in the world, Christians and non-Christians, scoff and go, oh, there they go again. You know, and mm-hmm. Whereas when it happens at a corporate workplace or some medium-sized company, people go like, well, Sometimes you got to do what it takes, you know, yeah. it's, it's tough, but it is what it is. And so even trying to think through what is Lord's work and what is Lord's way. And conversely, this is one of the things that I see a lot. And I did this at my previous church more significantly. And I saw it happen. I mean, when I say I did this, I mean, we did this where uh, people would be poorly performing. And because they were poorly performing on staff, things would shrink or not grow uh, either like failure to communicate failure to like work on getting better. And there was this real like, well, I guess God didn't want it to grow. Mm. And it was a that kind of, well, God didn't want it and therefore it's not growing. And talking about the Lord's work, the Lord's way was a way of avoiding the responsibility to pursue excellence in personal mm. work. And so... Yeah, or accountability and responsibility. Sometimes, you know, somebody is responsible for something in a ministry, whether as, you know, in, as a servant or as a paid staff person or a pastor or leader and just aren't really doing the job that they're supposed to do. And, um, and one of the ways that, you know, it's like, sometimes it's like, man, it's hard to get fired from a church because it's like, well, you know, gosh, especially, man, they're well-meaning and they're a good person and they're nice. And, you know, and it wouldn't, man, it would be, we don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be like that other thing and so maybe we go too far so what why don't we talk about what is what do we mean when we say the lord's work the lord's way and then some ways that we kind of experience misunderstandings of that yeah i think the lord's work is pretty broad and i and i think that's part of what makes redemption church a little different than maybe even some of the other like my previous church or other things like that is we see the lord's work as pretty comprehensive right we see the lord as a missionary that he has a mission he has a purpose he has a goal a desire um, that the Father has sent the Son, and the Son is sending the Spirit to do something, to accomplish mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And initially, we see in the Garden, Genesis one and two, that God appoints these uh, these vice regents, Adam and Eve, with a task that they would partner with Him in in unfolding the latent goodness within creation, and so developing the earth, let it, allowing the earth to be a testimony to God's creativity and His ability to be creative through other people. Um, that the whole earth would be um, cultivated and shaped and a, a temple of his dwelling place and, a, and a, a blessing to all those inhabit it. And so first we'd say the Lord's work is in a sense comprehensive. It's everything. Right? Yeah. So we're not, when we say the Lord's work, we're not just talking about 
sharing the gospel or preparing a sermon or um, leading a small group discussion or, you know, learning guitar so you can play worship. But we're also saying uh, scheduling ads on Instagram because you're in digital marketing. Yeah. It can be the Lord's work. And teaching kindergartners can be the Lord's work. And um, starting a business can be the Lord's work. It also conceivably could not be the Lord's work if what you're doing is inherently sinful or yeah. leading people in sinful directions. Yeah. But, but what we're saying is we're not here talking about the Lord's work. This isn't just like ministry stuff. Yeah. I would say that like the explicit ministry stuff is probably like the tip of the spear, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe like the, the tip of the arrow. Yeah. Like everything we do, our comprehensive life, like all of life is all for Jesus is part of what the Lord is doing through us. I do think like our explicit union connection with the spirit, and him renewing our hearts and participating in him renewing the hearts of people around us is probably like the, I don't, I don't want to say the bullseyes and like other things are not bullseye, but it's like the center, the focal point yeah. of the Lord's work is like what the spirit is doing to restore people to himself. Like, so it's like the relational work between God and humanity. Uh, so that would be the tip of the spear, but it certainly doesn't end there. And I don't, yeah. I don't want to say that uh, the Lord's work happens in our quiet times in the morning and on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons whenever our, mm-hmm. our church gathers. Um, but it extends far beyond that. We see that in Jeremiah 29 talks about seeking the welfare of the city. Yeah. Uh, and so we're blessed to be a blessing. And this idea of being a blessing is comprehensive. Like I know some people who are great employers who maintain like this real kind of kingdom of God vibe and vibe is kind of a buzzword, but I mean like a culture in their workplace that they're trying to help their workplaces feel different than uh, more explicitly demonic workplaces where mm-hmm. people aren't just being exploited or taken advantage of, uh, where they're just trading labor for wages, but they're actually humans participating in the cultivation of creation. Yeah. And and that's partly the Lord's work is that is that dignity. And I think when even you see in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, or Genesis 1, there's like this these twofold uh, parts. There's subdued dominion and there's fruitful and multiply. And so the first one has to do with production and the second one has to do with reproduction. Mm. So a fruitful multiply is reproducing. So it's like explicitly like the, the, the family system, the family process relationships, um, more explicitly those things and subdued dominion is production, which is more kind of our relationship with the non-human world, mm. developing it, shaping it. And all of that would be what the Lord's called us to do yeah. and the Lord is doing it through us. And so it's, it's the Lord's work. And, and, and so, and so in our context as redemption church, you know, where we, would we'll say like the, the mission of a congregation is to multiply and strengthen disciples and leaders. And the mission of redemption as a whole is to birth and strengthen healthy local congregations. So that, that in particular is the kind of Lord's work we're talking about that we're not excluding the other things. And so what we're saying is we want to do that kind of work and all the other things God calls us to in the Lord's way. Yes. What does that part mean? The Lord's way has everything to do with the way that Jesus did his work. And when we think about how does Jesus do his work, uh, we see that in the beginning of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's these stories where Christ is kind of living what you could say his private life, his ordinary life. He's being parented. He's going to the temple. He's studying. But then there's this moment where the Spirit descends on him, and he begins what theologians call like his public ministry. Mm. And But he does so first by fasting praying, being led by the Spirit, and then he moves in his public ministry. And so there's this posture that even Jesus, God in the flesh, has 
of dependence on the Father that's empowered by the Spirit. And so the source or the power of everything Jesus does in the Gospels is the thrust of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit. He's got the wind at his back, mm. metaphorically speaking. And so when we talk about the Lord's way, we're talking about in the power of the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit and in a posture of dependence on the Father. And so there's really uh, an absolute, or there, there isn't, but there should be an absolute recognition that any legitimate fruit that we have is the product of the Father's sovereign intention propelled to us in the Spirit. And so uh, anytime we go like my the cause effect has something to do with me and my flesh, me by myself, we're wandering in dangerous territory. And so, so part of the Lord's work is, is dependence on the Spirit. Would there be other postures that you think are, you know, when, when we think of this phrase, you go, okay, this is also kind of a key dynamic to how Jesus did his ministry. Yeah. Like I think of love being one. Yeah. The other aspects I would say would be like the, like the fruits of the spirit. So what does the spirit feel like when Jesus walks into the room? How do people experience him? So mm. this is where uh, Eugene Peterson, when I read his stuff, I read all of his books in like a semester after I was like detoxing from academic seminary stuff. That's how uh, Seth Trout detoxes everybody yeah. is, uh, hey, I'll read every book by Eugene Peterson. Yeah, but, <laughs> but honestly, it felt like a detox. It probably was really it, good it, for you. It was felt like you're sitting at the feet of a man who sat at the feet of Jesus for a long time and is writing theology, not as an academic discipline, but as yeah. like a, out of an overflow of his devotional life. But I remember sitting with someone who's like, what's like the main thing you got from reading all that Eugene Peterson? And trying to like summarize like what I felt pushed on by Pearson's writings was yeah. this idea of congruence. If you think about like integrity versus disintegrity, so there's mm-hmm. lack of integration, yep. or there's integration, there's integrity. Yeah, integrity is kind of a wholeness. Yeah, connectedness. And congruence yeah. is, it, it's in line with, it connects to, that there's consistency to it. And so the Lord's work, the Lord's way should have congruence with the person of Jesus and the mm-hmm. way he treats people in the tone. And so I should feel like Jesus would feel if he was me to people mm-hmm. that there's uh, think about the fruits, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that there's a character or a flavor or a feel that should mark my presence in these different environments. And so the Lord's work, the Lord's way is dependence on the spirit marked by the fruit of the spirit. And so that's very much a character relational category thing. Like you can't really think about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control without doing conceiving those things in like relational spaces or categories. Yeah. Like you can't say I am a joyful person and then not picture what that joy looks like in a room yeah. with people or other people or with the Lord. So that's the Lord's work, the Lord's way. So, so now when you, when you think about ways that people kind of misunderstand this, I think one way is to understand some people would misunderstand by saying, okay, the Lord's way that must be referring more to a technique or more to a model or more to a, um, yeah, techniques, probably the best word. Whereas we're talking more about a disposition, a posture, a, um, kind of approach of the heart. We're not talking about a particular technique to say like, here's the only way to do ministry or here's the only way to do this or this. It's not a strategy or a form. And and this is one of the things too, I think church leaders get tempted to do in particular is to put faith in forms. Hmm. Uh, That form of church didn't produce what we wanted to do. So we'll 
trust in a different form of church to do what we want it to do. Um, I had a, a newer lady to the church come up probably in her early thirties, maybe late twenties. I don't know. And she asked this question, like, how do we know, how do you know that Redemption Gateway is doing ministry right? And <laughs> yeah, which is a fair question. An interesting you know? question. She's like, cause I go to Redemption Tempe and it's a little bit different. And I go to this other church and it's really different. And I go to this other church and it's, uh, yeah, totally, absolutely, completely different. And how do we know that we're doing it the right way? Which is a, a good question to ask. And what did you say? And I said, we don't. We, we don't do it the right way, or said, we don't we, know. We, we don't know. Like I don't. And I and I said I don't know if there is a yeah. single right way. We don't do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> no. We don't do it the right way. We're just committed to doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> but there's. So this, you're saying we we can't possibly know if all the techniques and all the strategies are the the right way. Well, and also if we said we're doing it the right way, then we're also saying other people who do it different than us are doing it the wrong way. And and it's kind of like what's the right way to take your wife on a date? It's like well, there's probably ingredients there that should yeah. be consistent. Right, like yeah, I think we we kind of had a whole episode talking about that. Where kind of the, I don't know exactly which one. We'd have to go back in the archives and look, but something about it was very kind memorable. Of overvaluing your local church. You yeah, know? yeah, and so we're not trusting our techniques and our strategies. Yeah, but a lot of what we're trying to do and doing so unsuccessfully a lot of the time is trying to really be dependent on the Lord doing the work through us and us being more concerned about faithfulness. Yeah in terms of our character and our relationality and our presence than we are even on our small group strategy or sure. the way that we pray in service or the number of songs we sing. And all of that is an attempt to serve people while being in submission to the spirit. And a lot of it too is just going to be different that uh, from person to person, from place to place that it's going to feel different. So yeah, the Lord's way is not referring to a technique or a strategy or a form or a particular polity or, or structure to the church. It's describing a disposition, a character. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just really important because otherwise we, like you said, we, we start to idolize different uh, methods, you know, different techniques, and that's not really the heart of it. You know, um, it makes me think of, there was an article I read some years back um, by John Piper where he, he basically said, we should use means, but not trust in means. That's good. You're inevitably going to use means, right? You there's there's some way that you're going to try to gather people or you know teach people or lead stuff, but like don't trust that method. Those methods are going to change, but but there's a disposition and a character and kind of the spirit of Christ and your dependence on Him that should be coming through regardless of what means you use. Well, I think part of it, the reason that we pursue excellence and the reason we want to have good strategy in what we're doing is not because we're trying to just control for outcomes, but because we're trying to make the most of what the Lord has given us. This is the whole idea of the parable of the talents is God distributes his talents and some people just bury them and he's not happy with that. Yeah. And some people try to leverage them to the best of their ability. And so it's really about faithful stewardship and going, what have I been given? How do I make much of what I've been given? It's not even necessarily about controlling for outcomes. And so I think about the idea that God has given us this reality because I remember talking to someone again who's asking us if we were a seeker-sensitive church. And I said, well, what's the opposite of seeker-sensitive? <laughs> is a seeker insensitive? Well, hopefully not. You right. know? And and it's like, are we trying to be strategic? Well, what's the opposite of strategic? Unstrategic? You know, stupid on purpose? Is that, sure. st is that unstrategic? Yeah. It's like, well, we do want to be strategic. We do want to be yeah. sensitive, but we're not being strategic and contextual and sensitive 
so that we can control for outcomes. We're doing it because that's part of what I think love requires yeah. is it's about being intentional, a good steward of leveraging the best of our ability, what God's given us. Well, even this phrase, the Lord's work, the Lord's way, it comes from Francis Schaeffer. It comes from a sermon he gave that's part of a book called No Little People. Um, and there's an article that uh, kind of sums up uh, some of it where he writes this. He says, is it not amazing Though we know the power of the Holy Spirit can be ours? We still ape the world's wisdom, trust its forms of publicity and its noise, and imitate its ways of manipulating men. If we try to influence the world by using its methods, we are doing the Lord's work in the flesh. The key question is this, as we work for God in this fallen world, what are we trusting in? And that gets to kind of what you were saying. Like there, Jesus was not uh, trusting in his techniques or his strategies or his forms. He was trusting in the Father by the power of the Spirit. Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons where uh, I think it can get dicey when you're talking about explicitly church ministry, right? You, so I preached two days ago. Right, and Matthew comes with me after the nine and says, "Hey, here are a couple things to that I think if you cut out this joke, it didn't land, and you know, <laughs> yeah. make this part tighter for ten forty-five." And I implemented the, exactly what he said, and my sermon got better. And so, is that the Lord's work, the Lord's way? Is that trusting in means? Is mm. that and yeah. and I think that's, I think that especially in some previous ministry context I was in. Uh, feedback like that would have been seen as faithlessness or as, well, God's using it, so you can't critique it, yeah. or it's going well, so keep your mouth shut. Right. Whereas part of what I've appreciated being under your leadership and eldering with Matthew is there's this reality that, like, I'm not telling you how to get better so that God will work. Right. I'm telling you how to get better so that you can be the best version of you, and when you stand before the Lord, you can say, I've done the best I can with what you've given me, mm-hmm. not so that we can, like, make sure people get saved through our good preaching. Yeah. When this, and that's where the kind of rubber meets the road in, in my heart on this phrase is that <clears throat> I do think like there's uh, there's just a lot of good wisdom and, and uh, th- you know, thoughtfulness in terms of how do you communicate to people? How do you help people understand stuff? How do you create a good experience for someone? How do you, you know, so like we <laughs> made the decision, we'll, we'll see how this goes on Easter, that instead of having people bring Camping chairs, we were going to rent chairs. Well, that's more of it's a, more of an expense. Uh, we can have more seats, right? That we can kind of ha- just have more room for more people. So that that's good. Um, but it's like, well, why do you do that? <laughs> and I, again, I go, well, maybe we'll switch back next year. We'll see how this goes. But some of it was going like, you know what? It just seems like for some of the guests who are going to come, who like maybe didn't know they were supposed to bring a chair or that that eliminating confusion or making them feel stupid as they show up without a chair by us just having a chair for them. Well, that will just be a nicer experience for them. That'll be less of a barrier to them having a bad experience. You go, okay, well, is that, should we not do that? Because that's trusting in means and that's just being pragmatic or is actually part of how we love our neighbor uh, and especially our guests who are going to come thinking, okay, well, what what's going to help them just have a, what's hospitable? What's going to help them have a good experience? Well, and you can you, really kind of, you could argue it either way. Absolutely. And so that's where eventually it is to go, okay, well, you're going to use some means, but don't trust the means. 
right? It's not like I'm going to go, man, this is going to be the best Easter because everyone's going to have a seat that we already prepared. Mm-hmm. All right, here it comes. It's like, no, that, that's, that's not what we're trusting in, but it is something we're thinking about. Well, I think part of it too is even that discussion around chairs, which again, people who are listening are like church employees sit around and talk about chairs, you know, and, and but once we were convinced that the kind thing to do was to provide chairs for people, like we did it. Like that uh-huh. was, that was a question of like, so we're even like considering fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like it was a decision made out of conviction that this was the most kind for the most people. And I think if we had gone, no, people really like this. Like, so it's, it's, well, that's the thing. We may get through it and go, you know what? That actually, it wasn't the best thing, right? Like I, I I don't even want to go like the Lord's, (laughs) that's the thing. I think when we go the Lord's way is, well, we got to have chairs for people. Like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to claim that that's the Lord's way. I do think the Lord's way is to consider people and yes. to think about their experience. And we may do it and go, you know what? That actually turned out to be not that helpful and not that important and more expensive than we want to pay and and we'll change something next year, right? So so I'm I'm totally comfortable with going, hey, there's different like I don't th- this is exactly our point. We don't want to attach any one method to okay, that's the Lord's way. Absolutely. It makes me think about you have a coaching website, faithful and fruitful. Mm-hmm. And you told me a while ago about why you named it that. You could have named it faithfulministry.com, which would have been great. Could have named it fruitfulministry.com. It would have been great. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. If, but it's faithful and fruitful. Mm-hmm. Is it .com? I don't know. If it, it is, yeah. Yeah. I, why'd you pair those two? And Because you named it that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Like, where were you at in your journey when you decided to pair those things? Yeah, I, um, I guess I was at a place where I felt like, you know, I think we should pursue both. You know, I, I want, I absolutely want to be faithful. Um, I have less control over the fruitfulness. Um, but I want to pursue it. Right. And I, and what I kind of saw was, um, that it, it seems like in, at least in church leadership at that point. And yeah, this was probably 10 years ago that I, that I started that site and, uh, whatever, but, I felt, you know, I kind of wrote a thing on it that I called the both manifesto. It was like, you Anytime know. Anytime you're writing a manifesto. <laughs> you're either really full of yourself or just. Uh, you had too much coffee. Yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, it was kind of this sense of like, you know, people are doing a lot of things that just aren't really working to reach people. And um, wallpaper, wallpapering over it by saying, well, we're faithful. I'm going, well. Are you faithful if you're not really considering the needs of other people? Are you faithful if you're not really communicating in a way that people understand? Are you faithful if you're um, not empowering other leaders to be able to use their gifts to be able to develop ministry? Like I don't, I don't know if that's necessary, especially in our context. I don't know if that actually is faithfulness. So, so that's sort of a question to go. Well, how do we actually be faithful? Um, and then I, you see other people who kind of go, well, you know what? It it works. And works always involves more, right? More people, more money, more growth, more campuses, more whatever. And um, and yet you'd, you'd kind of go, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if like the way you're doing that is uh, really all that faithful. Um, and so I, it was just kind of a desire to go, uh, yeah, like we want to try to pursue both. So th- that makes me think actually of... Um, there's a saying that uh, I've heard a number of churches use, and I I even I can't decide if I like it or not. Like there's times well, when now I now I'm interested. There's times I really like it, and there's times I'm like, 
gosh, I don't know if that's a wise thing to do. So, you know, I don't, it, one of the things I think everyone listening knows in this is we're not trying to take pot shots at anybody, but, but it is kind of this phrase that as a church leader, kind of thinking as a missionary, go like, ah, what do I, how do I, I don't know. How do I feel about this? And the phrase is this, uh, and I think life church originated it. I've heard other churches, uh, I don't need to name in the valley that, that will say it also. But the phrase is this. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. So, yeah, I just kind of go like, part of me goes. What do you like about it? Uh, what I like about it is that it's it's got this kind of mission impulse that I think really is is the heart of Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who's, he's leaving the 99 to get the one, and he's uh, pursuing the lost son, and he's leaving heaven to take on flesh and dwell among us, and, um, you know, he's calling his disciples to be filled with the Spirit and be his witnesses to the end of the earth, right? So there's that part that I feel like, yes, that takes things, that takes that mission seriously. And, and what makes you queasy about it? Um, The... Uh, I like that it's like we, I like that it isn't, we'll sin to get, to reach people. I think that's a bad idea. Um, so it's less like, do I wonder whether it's wrong? I don't know that I wonder if it's wrong. I wonder if it's wise. Mm. So there's times where I go, ah, I don't know if that's wise. Like, um, cause there's a lot, a lot of things you can do that aren't sin, but you go, how is that? I think what I wonder about is how it shapes and forms people and what it communicates. And so a lot of times it really will involve stuff like, you know, everyone who comes on this one weekend is going to get entered to win tickets to Disneyland. And it's like, was well, that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But I, part of me is like, ah, I don't know. And I'm sure when that happens, like attendance goes up and people come and they hear the gospel. I'm sure some of them get saved. And so that part of you goes, man, it's worth it. Like if one, right, this is what we always say, if one person's life can be changed, then it was worth it, you know. Um, on the other hand, I kind of go like, well, what you win people with, you tend to win them too, right? And you kind of start training them, this is what discipleship looks like. And that part feels like, ah, I don't know. So, I mean, obviously I picked a very extreme example. Um, you know, in the case of Life Church, what, I, what I've liked about it is they have gone, you know what? I mean, they were kind of a pioneer in the online church space, which I know you don't think is a thing. <laughs> like online church, there's no online church that's, space. That's there's watching people go to church online. Space. Yeah. Right, but but their their impulse, and it was funny because when COVID hit, every church in the country started going, "Hey, Life Church, will you help us with this platform?" Um, and they said yes. And they said yes, but their whole thing was going, "We're trying to reach people that aren't going to church." So you know what? We'll create an online platform to be able to do that. Now, and, and so that's a great example right there where I go like, well, is online church good for people? Well, yes and no. Is it good for someone who's not going to come to the physical campus of a church anyway? Well, yeah, of course. Is it good for people to stay in that place and say, yeah, I go to whatever church online? No. And so that's, that's, that's a great example. That's probably a better, fairer example of like my wrestle with that phrase. So yeah, what about you? What do you... You know, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. Similar kind of wrestle with me, or do you just go, nah, I, I hate all of it, or I love all of it? No, I, I, I feel a similar tension with you. I do think the question of uh, how you're shaping people's desires and formation is is really important. And I think 
you going to the wise place is good. I think Christians spend a lot of time thinking about like guilt, innocence, right versus wrong, uh, sin versus not sin. I think that's a really good thing to care about. Jesus died for our sin, so we should not, you know, continue to sin that grace may abound, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Um, but I think there's a, a broader category of wisdom and folly that we need to consider as well. Like how are we stewarding well and pursuing a people who are like trying to shape people who are congruent with the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And even <clears throat> the way that Jesus treats the crowds versus like the more intimate connections he has mm-hmm. versus like the medium sized groups. Like there's even a, a, a vibe, a tone difference in terms of clarity and the way he approaches different environments. And so I think being more concerned with congruence with Christ than with outcomes mm-hmm. is really important. I, I think this is also where diversity of instincts matters a ton, right? Like I think if I'm going to flinch towards, uh, not liking online church, it's good that you're a little bit more pragmatic than me yeah. going like, but this is helping people take a first step. And, and my flinch is like, yeah, but at what cost? And you're going, but at what cost of them not taking it? And so, right. well, so, so it's interesting because even in this, we're, we're a bit talking about methods and techniques and forms. Yes. And so I think what we're kind of saying throughout with the, really what's at the heart of this value of the Lord's work, the Lord's way is that you could do online church and, as the Lord's work, the Lord's way, or not. Absolutely. Or you could not do online church as the Lord's work, the Lord's way, or not. That it really is more about your motive, your disposition. Um, now there's wisdom and folly as to techniques and approaches, but that's not really what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's it's also, I think, worth noting that discerning some of this uh, requires a lot of honesty in our hearts, right? That how, how often it's tempting to hide behind the sovereignty of God to avoid responsibility yeah. uh, or how also how often it is to uh, hide behind the sovereignty of God to avoid like celebrating a, a real talent. Right. Mm-hmm. So it like a, someone goes, well, that was a great sermon. You go like, well, yeah, well God did it, not me. And it's like, that's weird too. Like that's going, sure. it's like, it's avoid avoiding talking about gifting talent and good, a job well done. Like God does say well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say like, I did it, so stop congratulating yourself. <laughs> right. you know? like That's something the Lord does and that we can do as well, is we can so, say well done to people. Um, but that kind of discerning, like you said, it's tension. It's am I doing this for pragmatic ends justify the means stuff, or am I doing this in congruence with the life of the Spirit and under submission of the Father? And just recognize that even Jesus operates in plurality, that he's um, one among three, that, yeah. that there's uh, this kind of mutual submissiveness within the, the headship of, of the the, the Godhead that father, son and spirit operate together because we do, at least I do. And I think a lot of other people do tend to use this kind of religious language of avoiding even like being honest about where our hearts are at. Yeah. And so it's really helpful to have people who probe us, ask us questions and cause like, what do you really want? Because I, I also know people who are plagued by like the purity of motive yeah, thing. Sure. What really is my pure motive? And I go like, if I wait for a pure motive, I'll do nothing. Like I, <laughs> sure. I feel like if most of the time, if I yeah. get an 80% pure motive, that's like pretty dang good. And I'm, <laughs> I gotta be happy with it. Yeah. But just the reality that like my heart's a mixed bag. Yeah. It's deceitful. I deceive myself. It's not just, I'm deceiving others, but I also deceive myself. Like that Romans seven, Paul talks about that. There's these, these two selves inside of him that are at war with each, within each other. That's true of Paul. It's certainly going to be true of us. And yeah. so just acknowledging the war that's within us, and then in plurality and submission of spirit, trying to do our best to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way 
and not in, in some other ends justify the yeah. means way. So I know a lot of this conversation ended up drifting a little bit into kind of church leadership, but let's land the plane um, by, I'm thinking about the people who are listening, who are listening to this on their way to work, or they're folding laundry right now, or they're cooking dinner, or they're out on a walk, and they're thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about questions of online church or Disneyland giveaways or how to do all that stuff you guys were talking about. But I, but I want to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Yeah. Um, how would you encourage them? What would be some areas where you'd go, hey, watch out for this, pay attention to this, so that we can do the Lord's work the Lord's way? Yeah, I, I think the main thing I'd say is if you find yourself not operating out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or self-control, whether you're leading a business or parenting or working in your marriage or doing yard work. Like there's a season even where if I was doing a household project, Taylor would want to leave the room because <laughs> guess what would go out the window? Joy, patience, <laughs> self-control, right? And yeah, kindness. <laughs> kindness, yeah. Well, I wasn't like being mean to her, but I was just, I was, there's no sure. joy, no patience, yeah, yeah. no self-control. And so she's like, uh, if you're going to fix that uh, fan, ceiling fan, I'm going to, go to target. You know? <laughs> I was like, well, and I could be like, well, it's just a project, you know? Yeah. But just trying to recognize that whether I'm changing a ceiling fan, managing employees, parenting, if I find myself not operating in congruence with the spirit, I need to repent. Yeah. We, we can't like I, the number of business owners I know who go, well, it's business and they shame and scare and F bomb their employees into um, compliance and, use means incongruent with the character of God to motivate or reward. Sure. Uh, we want to say all of life is all for Jesus. And so we should have congruence and pursue congruence that whether we're in this type of environment, that type of environment, it's not just I do Lord's work, Lord's way when I lead a men's small group, but it's in every environment. And that's one of the things we could even ask our employees. Like I've, I've talked to a number of folks who work for people who say that they are Christians Yeah. and the gap that they experience like the hourly employees, like it's a bad witness. And people, uh, I know many people have like kind of wandered in like semi deconstructing of their faith because their Christian employer is so incongruent with the character of Christ. And they mm. go, what does this even mean? Like, right. and how is that even there? And obviously working with the people, we should not uh, just project people's sinfulness onto Jesus, but it just awareness of that temptation that our incongruence is forming people and is witnessing to people. And, I think that being concerned with stewardship and uh, maximizing and leveraging what God has given us matters a ton. But if we find ourselves compromising integrity or integration with the character and heart of God, any environment, that's an opportunity for us to do some work, to repent, to confess and to be made whole so that we can actually represent the character of Christ in every environment that we walk in. Yeah. Well, that's good. So yeah, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, um, Let's do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Seth, it's been good talking. And uh, any last last words? Happy Easter. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time.